the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny cars. It's been the same way for years. We need to change. Oh, and welcome to the Iron Tax News with Glenn Burnbaum. Glenn, we were talking here, getting ready for this, and you brought up some basically business interest expense and then, and then with rising interest rates what's that look like and how how are guys going to combat that yeah we thought we'd talk interest today and you know most people in the ag community definitely have to use debt you know to fund their operations to purchase land and so there's some new rules surrounding interest expense um, with tax reform that was passed last december that basically could mean that you can't deduct all of your interest expense it's, it's potentially limited and then it would it would carry over to, to future years. So it's, it's an additional complication, additional calculation that might have to be done for certain, certain taxpayers. So we thought we'd talk about that today. Okay, man. All right. So business interest expense is potentially limited. Um, now the rule is it's, it's a calculation where it's, it's called you, you compute your adjusted taxable income and it, interest expense can be no more than 30% of that number. So you've got to compute adjusted taxable income and potentially you're going to be limited. We'll, we'll walk through a quick example on that. But the big saving grace here is that if you're a taxpayer that has less than $25 million in revenues, that's a pretty high threshold. Um, you do not have to worry about this limitation potentially. Okay. So you might be thinking, Hey, why are we talking about this? Okay, you know, well, it's, there's a big exception that says, unless you're a tax shelter. So, so if you have less than 25 million revenues, but you're a tax shelter, you may have to watch this. So Casey, you might be like, well, what's a tax shelter? I'm not a tax shelter. You know, the definition of a tax shelter is not extremely clear in the code and some guidance, but our best consensus is that you're considered a tax shelter. If you have a loss during the year, number one, and more than 35% of the losses get allocated to a non-active owner. Okay. So our, our Schedule F farmers, you know, that are active, they don't, there's no other ownership, they'd be okay. But, you know, if you've got some estate planning, if you've got, you know, grandma and grandpa as owners or, or, or mom and dad and they're retired, but they still own 35% of the farm operation, we could have a problem here. So. So just because you're under 25 million in receipts doesn't mean that you might not have to follow these rules. So um, it's kind of a surprise. So you might be considered a tax shelter if you have a loss. So. Wow. Okay. Didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. So we, we may get some guidance to clarify this, but uh -huh. uh, in the next week or so. But that's that's what it, that's the best case. What we think now. So now let's get into a quick example. So it's 30 percent of adjusted taxable income, and our the wonderful. Congress, whoever wrote this, maybe it was a lobbyist, but they actually define adjusted taxable income differently. For the first three years, you add back depreciation, you add back, you know, your interest taxes. The starting though in 2022, you do not get to add back depreciation anymore. So obviously that's going to hurt down the road because, you know, we take 30% of this number. So it's not even consistent, you know, throughout this period. The first three years, it's EBITDA kind of interest before or earnings, it's the E, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. That's my base, just a taxable income. Started in 2022, it's really earnings before interest and taxes only. So depreciation is out of the mix. So, 
So let's just walk through a quick example. Um, let's say we've got a million dollars in revenue. We've, so we're under that 25 million, but maybe we're a tax shelter, so this may matter. So if we've got a million dollars of revenue, we've got $250,000 of depreciation, we've got $200,000 of interest, and we've got $500,000 of other expenses. You know, that could be cash rent, repairs, or what it wages, that kind of thing. So our net, if I'm doing my math correctly, our net profit is $50,000, okay? So we don't have a loss. But let's say for some reason we maybe have to follow those other rules, just, just for this example. So how do we compute our adjusted taxable income? We start with our net profit of $50,000. We add back $250,000 for depreciation, $200,000 for interest, and we, we've got an adjusted taxable income of $500,000. Okay, that's our base. We take that times 30%. That's going to be $150,000 is all the interest we can deduct. If you remember, I was using $200,000 of interest, so we've, we would, our limit is 150, we actually paid 200, so we'd be limited by 50,000 bucks, okay? So, so our profit is $50,000, but we're limited on interest, so we gotta add $50,000 back to that, so our actual, our actual profit that we have on our tax return would be $100,000, okay? So we, maybe we're doing planning and we expect, hey, we only got $50,000 income, if we forget about these rules, we don't think we apply, that it applies to us, our actual profit is $100,000. So we have to actually pay tax on $100,000 of income, even though we actually only made 50. Okay? So why is this in the rules, Casey? It's really not really ag-related. It's, it's more about corporate inversions. You may have heard that term, but it's about what, what people would do, big companies would leverage up U.S. companies and make them have a whole lot of interest and pay it to a, a related entity that's an that's a international company. And so if I deduct interest at a high U.S. tax rate, right, the U.S. generally still has some relatively high tax rates, but I deduct my interest at a high U.S. tax rate, I'm paying it to a related party that's international, and they pick it up at a lower tax rate, right? So they've got a lower tax rate, maybe in Ireland or something. And so there's this arbitrage that you can do. You could basically, you know, get a deduction at a 35% rate, maybe only pick it up at 15% rate. So there's arbitrage. And a lot of people would do this. It basically foreign entities could pay more for our U.S. companies, you know, whether that be Anheuser-Busch, you know, no longer U.S. owned. So this was supposed to stop, you know, the use of a lot of debt, right? If I'm limiting my interest, it's only 30% of my adjusted taxable income. I'm, I may not use as much debt if I'm buying a, a buying a business. So that's that's the idea of it to stop corporate inversions. But unfortunately for ag, it does it does impact us um, if if we fall into these rules. So so just be aware that you may have to watch how much interest you can deduct. Some of it may be limited. It's not lost. It, it carries over to to next year. So not the end of the world, but it, it could surprise you. Okay, lots of stuff to pay attention to there. Now, let me just tack on something else. This is interesting for your you know, equipment dealerships here. Mm -hmm. There's a carve-out that says, hey, if I'm using floor plan financing, you know, interest, floor plan interest, that doesn't count. Uh, I don't maybe have to follow these rules if, I, if I'm using floor plan financing. So uh, farm equipment dealers, uh, car dealers, uh, potentially don't have to follow these rules. But if, you if you're a construction equipment dealer, there's not a carve out for construction equipment, floor plan financing. So if you're a dealership that has both, I guess you might have to allocate interest somehow between the two. So it could get complicated. Um, 
Now the one caveat is, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take my exception. I'm going to say, Hey, I, I don't have to follow this rule because, um, you know, I have vehicle floor plan or I have farm equipment floor plan. What comes with that? I don't know why case they make it so complicated. You know, this is an interest expense rule, right? But if I don't follow this interest expense rule because I use floor plan financing, then it is as a result of that, I can't use aggressive bonus depreciation. So if I'm a farm equipment dealer, I, I can't use bonus depreciation. I, you'd have to use a longer life, and I can't use bonus. So it's very complicated. I don't know why they make it so complicated, but that's a fact. So I know why. It's, 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 why for, it's it? for government, man. That's what they do. Yeah, go. Maybe it's, they want to help out tax repairs. But, but um, so again, it's maybe – so the question is, well, if I'm going to lose a bunch – I can't deduct my interest, but, you know, that's maybe – in comparison to how much depreciation I'm going to lose, you know, you have to weigh the two and see which might be better. So just be aware of that too, that it's not applicable really to ag producers, but, you know, related businesses, particularly farm equipment dealers, which I know pretty sure this is the subject of this podcast. Uh, just, just be aware of that as well. If there's a special carve out. So, so how do you define a piece of construction equipment? Well, that's an excellent question. Yeah, it's not, I think there's a definition in there, but, you know, if it's related to ag production, then you'd be okay, I guess. Um, so if I, like I, a, I think you'd have some judgment. If I, if I had like a wheel loader, and I was yeah. going to use it to move grain, I'm going to feed lot, yeah. I'm going to move grain or skid steer to clean up pins or something like that. Yeah. And, I would think, you know, <laughs> so that, that gets real crazy is that you have to look at the customer use of the equipment, you know, do you have to have a detail? Well, this customer used the skid steer for this purpose. Yeah. This customer uses it for another purpose. So no, I'm talking good, like from it from the dealership floor yeah. plan. So it's like like we sell skid steers, right? And that's a that's a commercial worksite product, right? And that means that they're made to do not necessarily for ag, but they're made for you know whatever yeah. falling rocks or breaking out concrete or whatever it is they're doing. But you can also use it to load sure. bales. You can use it to clean out pins. Whatever you need to do with it. So I mean. If I'm a dealer, is that just a you just have to talk to your accountant, I guess, to figure it out? Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at it, but I doubt it's super clear. But I think if you can show that, hey, we know this customer used it at ag production, that you would you'd consider that farm equipment, not have to worry about that rule. But yeah. so somehow, yeah, the construction and equipment dealer lobby must not have been as good because the vehicles got an exception, the farm equipment dealers got an exception, but mm-hmm. construction equipment didn't. So. Doesn't even work a little harder at I guess. Yeah. So that's the tax side of things. I wanted to talk just a little bit about just interest in general, interest rates. Um, just mm-hmm. definitely something to be aware of. You know, they, they came out with a GDP today that it was 4.1%. You know, it's pretty pretty healthy growth. So I, I think most people think, you know, the, we're going to continue to raise the short term. The, the Fed funds rate is going to get raised. Right now the prime rate is 5%. Um, I was so there's a pretty good chance it's going to get raised two more times, so it could be five and a half percent by December here. So the question is, you got to kind of look at that's the short term rate. You got to look at your long term rates, Casey. You know, producers, particularly their land rates. You know, what what rate are you paying? Maybe you're only paying three three and a half percent on some, maybe four percent on your land loans. But maybe those are coming up in a year or two. And so, should you maybe try to lock in? A ten-year rate or a fifteen-year rate on some land loans. Now you're you're unfortunately going to be paying more than five percent probably to do that. But it's just you kind of have to think out in the future. Is 
you know, is a 5% rate going to be considered cheap a few years from now? So not an easy answer, but I think the homework assignment would be, you know, hey, just look to make sure you understand when your rates are, are coming up. So a loan case, you may have a 20-year amortization period, right? You're going to pay it off over 20 years, but the rate, interest rate, might be only locked in for five years or might be locked in for 10 years. So if you bought some land five years ago or 10 years ago and you think, well, I got a 20-year loan, I don't have to worry about this. Maybe you do. You probably do on the interest rate because you probably did lock in a 20-year rate. So just be aware of when those rates are coming due and talk to your banker about, you know, maybe some options to potentially lock in some longer-term rates. Because we're going to be in a situation if the prime rate's 5.5% and long-term rates aren't going to be higher than that. You know, it's it's called a flat yield curve, right? You're just very, very flat. And the question is, are long-term rates going to go up or are short-term rates going to go back down or we're going to have a recession? So... Just something to be aware of. Man, that's, that's a lot to think about there. Yeah, just predicting the future, you know, no big deal. But I mean, but, I guess you could yeah. just jump in your time machine and go back after you figure out what the interest rates are going to be, yeah. and then reset your loan. That makes you sense. And you know, even maybe you ladder it right. If all your if all your loans are coming due next year, you know, maybe you you know don't don't do anything too aggressive, but maybe you take a few loans and say, well, maybe I'll just hedge my bet here and lock in a rate. Mm-hmm. You know, just just kind of balanced and gradual. You don't don't do all all or nothing, but maybe you take a gradual step to locking in some rates. So hmm. definitely something to think about there. Yeah. Balls, so, on that. Yep. Okay. Well, Glenn, got anything else for us today? You know, that's really about the only thing. The only other thing I did see Wall Street Journal uh, article just today uh, in with interest rates. Uh, it, the LIBOR interest rate, it's mm-hmm. it's a London interbank rate, Europe. I didn't realize this. The LIBOR rate is actually going to be in 2021, I think. It's going to be gone. It's it's going to be done away with because there was manipulation on the LIBOR rate. So we have some clients that are locked, you know, have a LIBOR rate, but they're actually transitioning to something called the SOFR, Secured Overnight Financing Rate. Store in their journal about this today. And they just sold some bonds. I think it was Fannie Mae's sold some debt securities using this new interest rate. So I was not aware that LIBOR is going to be going away. It's going to be replaced by this SOFR rate, secured overnight financing rate. So um, obviously the banks will take care of this, but but yeah, LIBOR is going away in the 2021. So. That's a big deal because that's like, yeah. that's the interest rate that they base prime rates off from all around the world. So Yeah, really. I mean, 10 years ago, the prime rate was pretty popular, but then a lot of rates started going to LIBOR. But apparently what happened, my understanding, reading this article in the Wall Street, was that it was really just like a pull of the London bankers, let's just say, or European bankers. They would just ask them what the rate was. It wasn't an actual like reality rate, so there was apparently some manipulation that was happening like in 2014 and things that they were kind of fudging their answers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this was news to me, um, but it's it's going away, and there's going to be a new a new rate that's actually based on actual loans that are priced, yeah. not just a pull. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, just kind of surprising that it just came out this morning. So well, that's that's weird that a financial institution like that would fudge numbers. I can't imagine that they would do that. Yeah, I can't even, I don't have the mind to even think about how that they could manipulate it. But I guess if everybody says, hey, this is my rate, wink, wink, but actually it's different than that, and you can you can trade off that somehow. It's apparently that happened, but I had never heard about it. So. so, Yeah, it's amazing what they get away with and how they get caught and not much happens to them. It's always funny how that works. Yep. It's always funny how that works. All right, man. 
Well, Glenn, if guys want to get in touch with you and, and learn more about this topic or just have more uh, information about uh, their tax situation, how would they do that? You know, the best thing is to call us here at Heinold Banwert. Our phone number is 309-694-4251. We'd be glad to talk to anybody. And you can also look me up at Twitter uh, at Glenn Birnbaum. All right. Glenn, your wealth of knowledge as usual, man. And until uh, next week, have a good rest of this one, and we'll talk to you then. All right, Casey. You do as well. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks buddy. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here